Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. This is the 167th edition of the show. I'm Stefan Christoph. Thanks for tuning in. On the program today, I'm going to be featuring a conversation I had with Zahra Ali, who is a sociologist, professor, educator, and activist. Zahra wrote a very important book called Women and Gender in Iraq, Between Nation Building and Fragmentation. This book looks at the complexities and the layers of women's movements in Iraq over many generations, dating back to the struggle against British imperialism and colonialism in the uh, early 20th century to the present day, and looking at how movements for social justice and equity in Iraq are inherently um, linked to histories of feminist struggle and women's movements. Um, we talk about the 2019 mass demonstrations, some of the most important sustained protest movements that Iraq has seen uh, in generations that took place just before the pandemic. Uh, people uh, set up a square uh, of you know, creativity, actions, art. It was at, at Tahir Square in, in Baghdad. And there was sustained action and organizing across the country. Zahra has done really essential work to link and to um, spend time to learn about the feminist and women's movements in Iraq and placing that in an intersectional context. It's a really excellent book, um, and I thought it would be important to speak with her for the program. Uh, Iraq is in and out of the headlines, but the struggles on the ground for a more equitable society um, continue. And um, I think it's important to tune in and to think critically about the layers of social movements um, that continue to um, remain active today on the ground in Iraq. So here's my conversation with Zahra Ali uh, about her book, but more generally about her important perspective on Iraq today. The importance and resonance of your book, Women and Gender in Iraq, uh, remains in the contemporary setting. I think the way that um, the political, social, cultural realities in Iraq move in and out of mainstream headlines internationally creates sort of a, a problematic around how to focus in a sustained way on what's happening on the ground, the, both the social movements and also an understanding of the arc, the history of social movements. Your book really addresses, you know, in, in great depth, the organizing of feminist groups and networks in Iraq. Uh, across generations. So maybe just first to start, can you introduce yourself and share sort of an overview of women and gender in Iraq and why that was such an important uh, uh, work for you to, to engage with? Thank you so much, Stefan. I mean, first of all, it's so nice to talk about the book with someone who actually has read it <laughs> uh, and, and, and really also, you know, uh, understood, I mean, the... the I mean, the challenge that it is uh, to actually um, talk about it um, in, in, in different contexts um, to different audiences, right? I mean, I'm a sociologist, I'm a feminist, uh, and I'm based at Rutgers University. I'm actually talking from my office right now <laughs> at Rutgers. 
um, and uh, um, I, I came to academia or to research from activism. I, I was I was first a, a feminist activist bef before I actually became an academic and before I actually turned my own activism, my own personal interest uh, into um, an academic research. And in some ways I feel that the book says only, um, I don't know, maybe 10% of, of everything that I would like to say. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really the product of years and years of engagement uh, with um, women's groups, uh, feminist activists, um, social movements, in particular youth-led grassroots movement in Iraq. Uh, it started really in Baghdad when I settled there. Um, it was When I settled there, there, it was 2010, and actually the, the kind of situation, the general situation in Baghdad uh, was, was not what it is today. I think things have changed in terms of the ability to move from a neighborhood to another. At the time, actually, um, um, we were still in, 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 in many ways, um, I mean, it was still during the sectarian war. So it was, it was a particular moment to actually do in-depth field work and meet people and interview them and have to cross dozens of checkpoints and, <laughs> and go through quite a lot of, of days where you you know, you witness explosions or it takes you 10 hours to go to a neighborhood that should take you just an hour, you know. Things have changed, of course, in Baghdad now, but, but this is, uh, I talk about the, the material, um, I mean, the, the, the materiality of, of, of living there, the materiality of, of, of moving around in a capital that is in the middle of a war, um, and the, really the importance of, of speciality. So, so as I said, when I started, it was mostly in Baghdad, my fieldwork, and I also did uh, fieldwork in Erbil and Slemania, uh, uh, spent a lot of time interviewing Kurdish women activists uh, from really different horizons. What I did, my choice at the time, was really to try to meet people from as many backgrounds as possible. Uh, and in the sense that I wasn't... First of all, I didn't have a normative understanding of what women's rights activism or feminism is, right? For me, any woman who uh, is involved in some kind of... Um, or is engaged in some kind of movement and in some kind of organizing is somebody that I was interested in interviewing, right? Especially given a context where actually women and gender issues were extremely and are still extremely politicized. On the one hand, it is politicized, I mean, especially at the time because it was early on. I mean, I think now 20 years after the invasion, I think that certain aspect of this of this um, conversation has changed, but the way it was politicized by the US invasion uh, in this colonial discourse about bringing democracy and liberating women. And on the, on the other hand, how um, it was, and it, it, it is still politicized by the political elite that actually came to power with the US-led invasion occupation that politicized not only gender, but gender in relation also to um, sect and sectarianism. Uh, something that actually, uh, uh, I mean, um, an intersection that has been theorized by uh, a colleague of mine here at Rutgers, Maya Migdashi, in the context of Lebanon as sextarianism. I mean, what I argue very much is to say that 
not only the US-led invasion occupation has established, established a sectarian regime, but it's very much a sectarian regime because the ways in which actually sectarianism uh, uh, was asserted and, and, and deployed after 2003 uh, through actually uh, it being part of, of a political regime and through also uh, a narrative about what the supposedly new post-2003 Iraq should be, right? is very, very much along uh, um, issues along, uh, along issues of, of gender and sexuality. So, so for me, actually, at the time, in the uh, kind of during the sectarian war, doing fieldwork and meeting women, you know, who from different so nationalist, communist, uh, uh, Sunni, Islamist uh, um, woman organization, Shia Islamist woman organization. Uh, different types of, of, of actually uh, Kurdish women organization from different you know branches, some communists, some more nationalist, etc. Was very important for me because I mean w w the way I started every single interview and I, I've I've done like hundreds. I mean now uh, w when I started my field work, I probably for a period of over of, of two years I did probably eighty five. Really, I mean. Probably 45 of these interviews were long interviews where I spent hours with people, where I met them. And, it, and, and I always started with, with, with the question, So what made you become a woman activist, you know? And I also, uh, there's something very interesting because the term Niswiye uh, in Iraq is used in different ways. So it can mean like women thing, but it can also mean feminist according to the person you're talking about, right? Al Harak al Niswi can mean the feminist movement. It can mean, because it's not, in Iraq, we don't say Al Harak al Nisa or Al Harak al Nisa'i. We say Al Harak al Niswi, right? Which is really interesting term because then you have the more conservative women who, who are like, you know, I don't mean feminist, you know, and they use the English terms. I don't mean feminist, you know? <laughs> and, and then you have the, the much more radical women who say, you know, <laughs> what I mean is the feminist. So also the term, and this is why starting with this question when I first met people, um, uh, with, with, you know, sitting with these women either in their houses, either uh, in the offices of the organization, either in, in a coffee in Baghdad or in Erbil and Sleimaniya, starting with what made you become a woman activist and then listening to hours for hours and, you know, continuing the conversation in different places as well, listening to women's life, how they have experienced uh, the, the invasion occupation, the, 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 the 91 uh, war, the sanctions, etc. So I interviewed women from the age of like 18 years old, like young, very young activists to the age of like almost, almost 80 years old. Actually, the older woman activist that I interviewed, she passed away. She's like a legend in Iraq and she passed away um, uh, three years ago, actually. So, um, so the idea was to, of course, tell uh, her story of Iraq, right? So tell the story of Iraq, the social, political, and economic story of Iraq from the point of view of women and from the point of view of women who have done some, who have done something, who have been involved in some way at some some moment in their life, whether they had to then. Um, uh, you know, leave, flee Iraq, for example, in the 80s or the 90s, whether they have never left Iraq. 
so and then and then of course after 2000 and I mean the the really the the core of the fieldwork that the book is is uh, based on ends in 2012 but I've continued it's been over a decade that I continued I still work with women's group I organize a lot of things as well especially on on issues of knowledge production and how do we produce feminist knowledge from our own you know context and realities but then I mean I've done also fieldwork in Najaf, Kufa, Karbala, Nasriya, Al Basra so so and and this is why kind of the end of the book talks about uh, talks a lot about the movements because I was there actually when the first protests in 2011 started happening in Tahrir Square and it's really like almost a decade later I mean we had the protests of 2011 and women women were were participating but mostly as as like established women's groups like Shabakat al-Nisa al-Iraqiyat, Rabitat al-Mar'a, so the Iraqi Women's Movement, the Iraqi Women's League, you, you would see kind of women's leaders, like already established activists participating in, in some of these prote- protests, and especially 2015 was a very, very big protest. And this is when the slogans of al-Madaniyya, al-Hayat al-Madaniyya, etc., all of these ideas also started to consolidate. Um, however, then, I mean, these protests it really took like almost a decade for it to become the 2019 massive uprising, the biggest uprising that Iraq has ever experienced since you know since the formation of the of the modern state. And then you see something very interesting because remember I started saying that there was a, a politicization of, of gender. I mean, on the one hand, you had all of these money, millions of dollars actually given by the UN by uh, UN women, by also American organizations uh, connected to like uh, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party actually, putting so much money on the so-called civil society, which is really the neoliberal term to talk about like some form of activism, right? And so there was so much money and so much attention, right, given to women. And so there was a form of, I mean, on the one hand, you had women really in the forefront of like um, kind of, the everyday on the forefront of mobilization for people's like access to resources and services for the extension of the welfare state of social rights etc so you have this aspect in, in in their activism but on the other hand you also had a very a strong enjoyization of 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 you know like it is the case uh, there's there's a lot of literature on that for example in the palestinian context you know uh, after uh, after oslo right so there's so much attention you know and, and because of this colonial discourse uh, saying that you know this this whole thing was for to liberate women that there's so much money also put into that so there, there is this and you know in the book i talk a lot about this kind of the 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 different dimensions of enjoyization and what it means but but interestingly, I mean, having followed now social movement and women's movement since over a decade, I also realized how much more and more, also as kind of the security also kind of, I mean, as just the ability to go from a place to another is something very central, right? You organize a protest, you want to be able to go go to the protest without being stopped and checked by a checkpoint. So just, I mean, I think that the overall security, especially in the capital of Iraq, also has helped a lot um, in, in, in certain forms of activism also to emerge. And so what happened in 2019 is that instead of having actually the established women's groups who, who have a certain type of discourse, um, you know, partially NGOs, I would say, what you had is actually like the ordinary woman, the mother, the, the student, the, the, the women from poor family, rich family, middle class family, different neighborhoods of Baghdad, but also a lot of 
actually a lot of women from poor neighborhoods of Baghdad, you know, coming and taking taking up space and occupying the square in Tahrir Square. But also there were massive protests in Nasriya, the south of Iraq. So there, there you have another form of activism that is emerging that is really pushing also the established women's activists outside of the NGOI's comfort zone, right? And that's something that I'm following very much that is covered a little bit in the book, but I'm actually, you know, writing about um, more now. There's so much there. Um, thank you so much for outlining all of that, Zahra. Um, and thinking about the narratives around feminist movements and women's experience more generally in Iraq. Um, one thing that really was striking about your book was it's as if when you're inside of it, you're seeing the sort of tapestry of histories of organizing around feminist movements in Iraq, as opposed to a narrative that is maybe about one person, you know, like, uh, or a Western uh, perspective about these issues within Iraq. So um, you're not just only talking, obviously, about 2003. You go back to the 1960s and um, also, like, moments um, before the dictatorship and sort of the, the repression that happened before um, dictatorship was imposed, obviously, with a context of colonial um, influence. Um, neo-colonial influence from the United States. But I guess, um, why, why, when we think about, like, this sort of tapestry of histories that you address through women and gender in Iraq, can you talk about um, why taking the time to sort of engage with the type of work that you did um, really is important in terms of actually having some beginning of an understanding of what this question of women and gender in Iraq is, as opposed to sort of like a fixed, a sort of like a slogan-based narrative that, you know, we've heard a lot since the invasion in 2003 and with the protests that you mentioned. But this sort of nuanced historical work uh, I really appreciated that. Can you can you talk a bit more about um, why taking the time to engage in that way is important? Thank you so much yeah, for the question. I mean, what was very important um, for me uh, is to break also with this post-2003 narrative, right? As if, I mean, if you look at the scholarship, how, I mean, how much scholarship there is after, you know, uh, like looking at Iraq post-2003, which limits Iraq to the invasion occupation, right? Uh, it limits the narrative about Iraq. It frames Iraq as... It's as if the story of Iraq, the history of Iraq, is only worth it in, in its relationship with the U.S. empire, right? So we can only read Iraq or be interested in Iraq only if we talk about the invasion occupation. And... Uh, this is why I also started, uh, and, and I had actually, you know, older activists who told me stories, I mean, who were alive <laughs> during the revolution uh, of uh, 1958 uh, that established the first Iraqi Republic, right? And who some of them or their mothers, for example, played a huge role in, in organizing the first women's groups that started. And so it, it was super important for me to, because these legacies actually are still existent. Um, despite, despite, I think, 
the fact that everything has been hidden through uh, under Uh, this sectarianism narrative. I think that these legacies are still there. They're actually some very old activists who still give conferences, who still organize things in Baghdad. Um, and so talking about you know the, the formation of the very first groups of women in the 40s and showing that, for example, um, in, in Iraq has a specificity in relation to other uh, countries in the region that it's um, it's historically it's it's act i mean it's feminism has taken a much more anti-imperialist uh, um, i mean it the women's groups in iraq especially in the 50s and the 60s but it really started in the 40s too um, were much more tied to the anti-imperialist left than to the nationalist elite and that also gave a certain um, i mean that really made actually uh, women's activism I mean, up to the 80s, of course, uh, much more radical, a much more radical kind of uh, tendency than, than it was the case in other parts of the region. I mean, if you follow, for example, um, the, the history in, e in Egypt or in Syria, you also will have like this kind of narrative. I mean, in Iraq as well, there was this these elite women tied to the nationalist, to nationalist men mostly, talking about women as, you know, bearer of the nation, women as, you know, educators, etc. And actually in Iraq, if you look at Nazih Delaimi, for example, who was a member of the Communist Party and the founding member of the Iraqi Women's League, um, I mean, she was a Marxist. She uh, really, for her, the issue of class equality, gender equality, and the liberation of the nation from, you know, uh, imperialist forces was something that was one thing, one struggle. And there was a huge, actually, something that I document also, and because women that I've, I spoke with told me about uh, the different forms of grassroots activism, how women from Baghdad were going to the south of Iraq to talk to women farmers, to women in rural areas. But I think that talking about these different legacies and, and showing um, that, you know, it's a long history of activism and that what happened in 2003, I mean, it's, it's interesting, actually, Also, because I didn't want to be too simplistic about the post-2003 in the sense that, yes, it is also the fall of a horrible, horrific dictatorship, right, that has limited all forms of activism. So what's very interesting is that on the one hand you have, and that's kind of the tension that I really deeply analyze, looking also at the materiality, at the everydayness of women's rights activism, as opposed to looking at women's rights as some abstract notion, right? So what I'm saying is that, yes, on the one hand, the invasion occupation provoked, I mean, the collapse of the, of, of the state, its services, its, its infrastructure, something that has started in the 1990s with the sanctions and, and of course, the first, uh, you know, Gulf War, I mean, U.S.-led coalition forces bombing. But so on the one hand, it does this. So it breaks the possibility of an everyday you know, functional life that affects women. I mean, women, for example, were mostly employed in the public sector in Iraq. And of course, you know, relied on child, state support, uh, supported childcare and healthcare. And so, and, and, and all of this collapse. But at the same time, you do have also the opening of a space where people can actually organize and, and this is what actually happened. But I mean, with the consolidation of, of, of this post-2003 you know, regime uh, that is hyper-militarized. You also have the, you have on the one hand the intensification of protests 
uh, and cyclical protests. I mean, the uprising might has it's not visible anymore, but there are protests almost every day in different parts of Iraq, whether it's student protests, whether it's women's protests, whether it's union organizing. But on the other hand, you have this very brutal regime that is hyper-militarized and can repress as much as it wants because it has the, the means of, 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 of repression. So much there, and I think maybe just to end, um, would just be um, right now you've talked about sort of the history of like the foundation of the Iraqi Women's League very briefly, um, the imposition of the dictatorship, the um, invasion, uh, U.S. invasion in 2003, the effects afterwards, and you mentioned the protests. This whole arc, um, it's it's difficult to get into depth about a particular aspect in a short conversation, but encouraging people to check out your book and to engage with your work. In the contemporary moment, um, people will remember that in 2019 there were major protests in Iraq. As you mentioned, women's groups and feminist activists were part of that. Um, maybe just quickly, um, how do you feel like progressives and people listening to this interview around the world should be trying to engage with and listen to voices on the ground in Iraq in light of all of the context that you've shared? Yeah, well, thank you for the question. I think that we need to revive anti-war activism all around the world. Like there was what happened in 2003, you remember with the protests all over the world, it was powerful, it was beautiful, right? And it was necessary. But of course, anti-war activism needs to be tied to anti-capitalist activism. It needs to be tied to, I mean, looking at basically... So what I often say, and this is why, you know, my work engages with transnational feminist scholarship. And transnational is a very important notion because it's not international. The idea is we're not talking about global sisterhood here. We know that women are, have, I mean, the category women is is not a category that actually exists. It's tied to class, it's tied to race, it's tied to sexuality, etc. But so the trans here is to challenge, of course, nation state borders, Ch challenge also borders of sexuality, Ch challenge, you know, borders of, of dichotomic reading of gender, etc. But it's it's very important for me to, to talk about transnationalism here and say that people think that, you know, oh, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, it's happening over there. Here it's something different. Well, no, actually. We live in, the, in one world that is dominated by one system, which is racial, patriarchal, capitalist system, right? And so, and, and, and heteronormative, heterosexist, capitalist system. And some benefit from this system, you know, and some are victims of this system, right? So we, we live in one, in one system. And so in some ways, it's the dismantling of this system that can liberate us all, right? And so instead of thinking that actually what's happening in Iraq is totally disconnected and has nothing to do uh, with, with what's happening in the global north, for example, understanding that actually centering women's rights activists and, and like, um, I mean, activism in a place that is really at the center of, 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 of the oppression of all of this system, right? I mean, when, when basically you put gas in your, gas in your car, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the material reality and possibility of the middle classness of the global north relies on, you know, what, you know, Timothy Mitchell has called, the, uh, called carbon democracy, right? So in the sense, um, 
there is a material direct relationship the extractivism the extractivism of resources you know in the global south is directly benefiting the global north so it's not a, a there and here it's one world and 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 looking at those at the margins or those who actually they at the margin but they are in the center of paying the consequences right uh, uh, and, and, and really oppressed, the most oppressed by this system is actually helping us dismantle and understand how this system works. So, so, so for me, we need to revise anti-war activism, transnational anti-capitalist feminist activism. That's, that's really, really a priority. And, and stop looking at like the Muslim world and like using all of this category, <laughs> stupid category, like lo look at people as people and, and look at us all as part of one system. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak today. Thank you so much for, for having me, Stefan. That was a conversation with Zahra Ali, who is the author of Women and Gender in Iraq Between Nation Building and Fragmentation. It's an excellent book and I really am grateful for um, the opportunity to speak with Zahra, so thank you. Free City Radio is hosted uh, and produced by me, Stefan Kristoff. I work on this show as a grassroots project and share it with campus community radio stations. Um, it airs on CKUT 90.3 FM at 11 a.m. on Wednesdays, on CGLO 1690 a.m., also in GeoGeage, Montreal, on Tuesdays at 1 p.m., on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesdays, on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11 a.m. on Wednesdays, and on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. On, and on Saturdays at 7 a.m. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just look up uh, Free City Radio. Encourage a friend to tune in. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>